All right, we're talking about why Elon Musk is going to invest in Next. No, just kidding. <laughs> we're not doing that, but you're in the green room. Uh, this is Disrupt TV. I've got our awesome producer, L, uh, my awesome co-host, co-founder, Vala Ashar. Uh, but more importantly, we're going to do our guest in reverse order as you're in the green room for those following on Twitter, link, Twitter, LinkedIn Live, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Vimeo. I'm Periscope, of course. Uh, you know, we're going to get you a chance to get up there while we're talking. So, Deb, where are you calling from? How cold is it? And what are you talking about today? Um, I'm calling from Oberlin. It's 20-some degrees, so it's balmy. And uh, I'm going to talk about some clients and my cool students. All right. Very, very cool. All right. Wilson, where are you calling from? What's going on? I'm calling from California Bay Area. I live in the South Bay. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about how AI has changed in last year on AI predictions in 2021. All right, really, really cool. I'm here too in the South Bay. Paul, what's going on? Where are you and how cold is it? Well, I'm in. Uh, I'm looking out my window here. I'm in New Jersey and it's uh, snowing at about 25 degrees and it's just been this onslaught for a while here. So yeah, and I'll talk about uh, you know, what, we, what we see happening in technology, the vision we just came out with and whatever else you guys want to ask me. What a great launch. All right, cool. Let's do the honors. L, all yours and do the countdown. All right, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and Breaking News. He's got a new book coming out this year, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. He's a regular television, business, and technology news contributor on Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, and Fox Business. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Always humbled by the best introductions in the business. I'm here with Bala Afshar, as everybody knows. Um, he's a person that everyone should follow. Inspirational thoughts, inspirational tweets. Uh, you're seeing it all across the board. Leaders, CMO, CEO, CXO, CIOs, and chief digital officers are all following him and world leaders, as I noticed on Twitter. So anyways, um, it's not about me. It's not about Vala. It's about our awesome guest. And today we're going to talk to a very, very awesome guest. And we're also going to quickly thank our sponsors, Robots and Pencils. And of course, we'll just jump in and talk about our awesome tech vision conversation. So what's next? Who do we have? Okay, uh, one of our favorite guests of all time in the you know 200 plus shows we've had, Paul Darty is the Accenture Group Chief Executive Technology and Chief Technology Officer. Paul oversees all aspects of developing and delivering Accenture's technology capabilities, bringing innovation, intelligence, and deep industry experience together with leading technologies from an ecosystem of partners to help clients reinvent their business. He's helping us at Salesforce do that today. As Chief Technology Officer, Paul is responsible for driving innovation through R&D activities in Accenture uh, labs and leveraging emerging technologies to bring the newest innovations to clients globally. Paul is also responsible for managing Accenture's alliances, partnerships, and senior level relationships with leading and emerging technology companies. And he leads Accenture's Global CIO Council, an annual CIO innovation forum. He's the member of the Accenture Global Management Committee. He's the author of Human Plus Machine, Reimagining Work in the Age of AI, one of my highest uh, recommended books on the concept of future of work and impact of AI. He's a great follow on Twitter, actively engaging daily 
with several, many, many stakeholders, thousands of stakeholders at P-A-U-L-D-A-U-G-H. Welcome back, Paul, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, it's great to be here. A great introduction, Vala. That was, uh, that was a lot that you got in there, and uh, it's great to be with you guys. I had to cut your bio short, Paul, because we only have 20 minutes, and you do so much. <laughs> so, thank you again. I know. I, I think we, we, didn't, we did a disservice <laughs> in that short bio, actually. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That was so, fantastic. No, but hey, Paul, thank you so much. I mean, you just came off a uh, broadcast of your Tech Vision 2021, and inside this report, you interviewed over 6,000 people. And it was interesting to see, hear those findings. I don't want to give them away, but the pandemic definitely played a factor along with other global events from last year. Um, how did this all shape your findings year over year as you're comparing these trends? And then more importantly, what are those new realities? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting time to, to be looking at this. We do our vision every year, uh, as you guys know, and uh, the context of what's happening around us is, is, the, is one of the most interesting things uh, to look at when you look at our technology vision. And, um, you know, and you think about the past year and it's like, wow, like, where, where do you start? In terms of oh, some my of God, yeah. Context? You know, we had, uh, you know, we had Brexit uh, you know, a year ago. We thought that was a big deal. And then we had Australian wildfires, climate change. We had uh, COVID happened, like the big, you know, big, you know, big bang of COVID hitting and really disrupting things at unprecedented scale. We had uh, political turmoil and in, in chasms. We had, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of unrest around uh, systemic social inequality and racism. You just go on and on, and it was a, an amazing year. And um, I think one of the things we're trying to highlight in our vision this year is we talk about a moment of truth. And it's really a moment of truth in terms of how leaders deal with the future. And the observation we're making in the vision is that what happened in the past year is that COVID, along with some of these other events, but primarily COVID, hit a giant fast forward button and propelled us into the future. We think we've we've incurred a, you know about a decade of change in this year and now you know going into a second year that we're going through. And you know the future is here. Like we just haven't caught up to it and realized it yet. And I think that's the kind of mindset you need to have. What we're trying to talk about in the vision this year. I mean, that compressed, accelerated digital transformation is real. I mean, it's it's in front of us. So it, it, It's real. And, it, it's, and it, I, I don't think we've fully, you know, fully uh, digested it yet. I think it's impossible to fully digest. Well, there'll be books written about this, but there's four new realities that we talk about in the vision, and we can dive into any one of these. But there's a new reality of human experience that you, that you have to understand if you're doing anything in business or with technology. Eight billion people around the world instantaneously change behavior never before happened in the history of human civilization. In uh, right, you know, right after COVID hit, you know, before COVID hit, less than 40% of Americans in, in the US were using online grocery shopping. Within you know, less than two months, 80% were using online grocery shopping. Telemedicine visits up 350 times and all of us you know, doing communicating like this, including not just at work, which is you can get used to, but our, you know, my my in-laws, our our relatives, our our kids at school, and and the the, the massive change you know to, to our human experience is profound. And then you know, a new reality of technology, where we talk about every business being a technology business, a new reality around work uh, that we talk about the vision of how work will change, and the new reality that surprises some people that we're talking about in a technology vision around sustainability and why now is the time where technology and sustainability come together in a different way in terms of how you direct your business. Yeah, for those of you listening to Paul, Paul, a couple of days ago in a tweet stream, listed the four realities, provided details and links to the report. So again, a great follow on Twitter because everything he's talking about, he's sharing on social, including what he tweeted couple of days ago, which said COVID is compressing 10 years of change into just one or two years, fast forwarding to a future defined by new realities, result, colon, the future is here. 
And then a thought-provoking question you ended with, but are you ready? Yeah. And you talk about in the report get th three key uh, uh, imperatives for change agents and leaders. Can you talk about what is leadership? What are some of the lessons you learned? I mean, you're, you're, I don't know, you're leading about 300,000 people at Accenture, <laughs> but then you're also working with some of the biggest companies in the world. What are some lessons you learned in the last one year as a result of the economic pandemic, uh, climate and, and, and social political equality uh, crises that we all faced, uh, in, you know, in 2020? Yeah, no, I, I think the, uh, just that, that you know, the, the are you ready point, just to highlight that there's one statistic that I, I think I mentioned on Twitter, but also we talk about in, in the vision, which is before COVID, there was already a digital achievement gap. And this is important as I'll get back to your question on leaders in a second. Sure. But before before COVID, uh, there was a digital achievement gap where the top organizations who were doing well at digital which, and, and were mastering technology in the right way were outperforming the, the rest by two by two X, by a factor of two X before COVID. Uh, we, we redid that research recently and a year into COVID, what changed? That, that performance gap for the digital leaders increased to 5X. So the digital achievement gap wow. widened dramatically. Wow. And it's largely, it's intuitive, right? It's what we anecdotally talk about, which is, wow. is are those that had, you know, the you know basic capabilities in curbside pickup, say, were able to accelerate faster and sure. do better. So those that had had the digital foundation widen their gap, the rest are struggling, you know, to, to keep up and are trying to leapfrog. So when you talk about what what is required of leaders in this uh, in this environment, I really do think it's the era where every every business is a technology business. That's what this is highlighting. Technology was the lifeline. Uh, if not for the technology, if this was five years ago, even and certainly if it was ten years ago, this would have been devastating, you know, to the economy, to people, uh, to well-being, and it was bad. You know, it was catastrophic, but it would have been far worse without the lifeline that technology uh, gave us. So. So back to what leaders need to do. Every leader needs to be a technology leader. I'm having a lot of discussions with CEOs, with boards about specifics around technology because that's what matters, not just in dealing with COVID, but to setting your strategy now going forward. Uh, the change, this this masters of change is the in the title of our vision, masters of change at a moment of truth, uh, is, is a point because technology in many ways was viewed by leaders as a way to optimize their business. Technology going forward is the platform for changing your business continually, and leaders need to master that change mindset. And then I think we're in an era where um, humanity is really important, and I think yeah. leaders need to master, you know, and and you know, kind of think about humanity at the core. It's the way you think about your workers, your workforce, your colleagues, staying in touch in different ways in this crazy environment that we're in uh, in right now. And it's about thinking about humanity in terms of how are the solutions you're putting in place improving. Uh, you know the state of not just your business, but the uh, you know the your customers, the community that you and your customers live in, citizens, etc. And I, I think those are some of the leadership basics that we're talking about in the vision, and um, that really matter. You know, at this moment of truth that we're in right now. And I love the fact that you are part of a 500,000 plus employee company, and you're you're actually a role model when it comes to sustainability, climate. Uh, you know, uh, servant leadership. So what, what it reminds, what, you, what our audience should take away from that is don't use excuse in terms of, oh, my company's too big. You know, we, we, we can't make pivots. We can't make decisions. If, if Accenture, you know, is a myth buster when it comes to like size of company inhibiting you for being a tech company and making a difference. So I, I just want to applaud you because I, I think in so many conversations with my clients, your company's name comes up as, 
you know, the North Star for others to follow. So it's great. Well, well, thank you. We, we, we try to try to do what we think is the right thing. And I think you have the bigger the company, the bigger your impact, the more obligation I believe you have. And I think it's a particular obligation for technology companies. And as I said, we're all becoming technology companies. Every company is. But yeah, we've been kind of a technology company in the technology business. And if I think of any of the technology companies, whether they be technology providers or platform companies or what have you, there's an extra added obligation in terms of thinking about these issues, not just sustainability, but all these issues, the humanity and things I'm talking about, because this is these are the platforms that are defining the future. And if you if you get them wrong, it's gonna have bad consequences. We're seeing some of the impacts of that in terms of the way some of the tech is, is impacting people today. And there's an obligation I think we have to make sure that, that the technology is used in the right way and that uh, we accrue the proper benefits for it. We talk uh, about uh, this idea at Accenture of 360 degree value, meaning that when we think about you know anything we do internally or any project we do for a client, we think about the 360 degree value is in terms of what's the what's the financial benefit, but also what's the benefit to the people, what's the benefit to the workforce, what's the be, you know, what's the impact on uh, environment and SDGs and other things. And I think that idea of 360 degree value is is something that I think in the, in the future is uh, is critical. And today, it is critical to set the course for the future. Absolutely, absolutely. No, this makes a lot of sense. And you guys typically list like big themes in there. One yeah. of the themes that uh, you know I'd love to go deeper in on was really about you know that whole notion from me to we. Um, because yeah. it hits on societal, economic, technology, uh, and even some in some cases political aspects of what is changing around. Uh, you know how we look at that technology and how we should be thinking about strategy. So yeah. let's start there. Yeah. Now, from from me to we, it's there's five trends that are five technology trends that are at the core of our vision, and our trends always sound a little bit different than other trend reports because I, I read them all, and a lot of them start with you know cloud computing, artificial intelligence, data, virtual reality, and I read all those and I like them, but I, they don't necessarily help you make decisions. So our, our trends always sound different because we're trying to project the business you know outcomes and actions that you you should strive for. So from me to we is talking about, for me to we, it's talking about uh, solutions based on an ecosystem, multi-party solutions, which is the emerging word to describe distributed ledger and blockchain and, and related applications. That's what for me to we is about. And um, I believe as, as we look to the problems we need to solve, that businesses are solving in the future, as we look to COVID response, sustainability, and big problems in our business, they're, they're multi-party solutions. Uh, think about, um, you know, uh, sustainability you know, solutions we're working with, uh, a number of companies on called around circular supply chain where you can connect a farmer uh, the farmer producing the coffee beans in a small farm in a certain country with the person drinking that in a retail store in the US and seamlessly have transparency and traceability back from from the cup the consumer purchased to the coffee coffee bean and, and, and be able to implement concepts like I want to reward that farmer for sustainable production so that as a consumer I can give them a tip it's the tip of the farmer idea you may have heard of how do you build a solution like that that's touching every distributor supply chain you know in, in the middle you need a different uh, type of solution that's where multi-party systems come in and that type of solution is built on distributed technology uh, distributed ledger technology and that exists today and so you can create incentives and rewards around sustainable production you can track the health that same that same process is used to track uh, the organic chicken and the you know to make sure that uh, it's not contaminated and such and, and you can verify the efficacy of it uh, throughout the supply chain those are you know so those those types of technologies have a real purpose in 
the way you think about the you know constructing the world going going forward. So, lots of uh, other examples: uh, Singapore with their digital health passport that they use for the COVID response, based on you know blockchain and similar technologies. So that's what we're talking about in that trend. And I think if the time has come, what we've been doing blockchain and distributed ledger you know stuff for a while. It's not just it's not about cryptocurrency. It's uh, although that's a, that's its own thing. This is about building not a hot topic at all. Not, not yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Trillion yeah. dollar market cap today, so yeah, yeah it's exactly. kind of super hot now. That was yeah. one of five, uh, one of the five trends. Stack strategically architecting a better future uh, was uh, the first uh, yeah. trend. And mirrored world, the power of massive intelligent digital twins, and how yeah. these digital twins are now like partner ecosystems, not just digital twin within the company uh, borders. I technology, democratization of technology from citizen development, but the fact that if every company is a technology company, every employee needs to have a certain level of technical savviness. Um, and then anywhere and everywhere. So I would argue in 2007, this launched the bring your own device revolution, but now we're talking about bring your own environment, right. which is the anywhere, everywhere trend. I, I, the one that resonated with me was actually the first one. I don't know if it's, because, I don't know if they're prioritized in any way, but you know, if you're a tech company, then your tech stack really matters in terms of positioning yourself for success. So I'm interested to learn a little bit about that. And then, you know, any other insights you want to share across the, you know, all five trends? Well, but I always think of the trend that the five trends in the vision as like my children, I can't have a favorite. I have to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, we, but we did put that one first for a reason. Let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> we stacked it in there. Yeah. <laughs> but stack, stack strategically is talking about uh, the fact that that how you do tech matters, the stack that you build matters. Um, you know, think about uh, Starbucks as an example, not to overdo on coffee examples, but Starbucks, you know, in COVID, they were able to quickly, uh, you know, enhance their mobile application, push out millions of new downloads, switch to 90% remote ordering with pickup in stores, uh, you know, enhance their microservices and APIs to do uh, Uber Eats partnerships for, you know, for delivery. Their, you know, their their stack uh, allowed them to fare far better and to widen the, that you know, widen yeah. the gap versus others. You know, as I talked about earlier, so that's an example of the stack really matter, you know, really uh, mattering. Uh, one of the, the things I, I talked about when I was, uh, was announcing the vision is it's a, it's a little just a little bit of a cute analogy, I guess. But I use a rock concert analogy and to say that uh, you think about a rock concert, you have the roadies, you know, that that would. Uh, chase around behind the band and be off stage and set things up and make sure it worked to make sure the sound worked. That was IT, you know, IT has been the roadies uh, on, the, on the journey we've been on. I think uh, with COVID and the new environment we're moving into, uh, technology is the rock star on the stage. It's what's defining the business. So it's, so we're moving from, you know, IT and technology being the roadies to central, you know, to the, the center stage. I think that's really true. Uh, that's really true going forward, and that's what we're talking about in stack strategically. So it's 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 how do you um, how do you go from you know from uh, you know, get to the cloud and then you know, expand to the edge and leverage leverage the edge in the right way. It's about the you know, leverage of data and AI and how you build that into the stack in the right way and solve for it. How you build security in? Uh, there's a whole tweet thing going on, a whole uh, uh, thread of the, the tweets going on around security, which I completely agree with. We don't have security as a trend because we believe it's part of every trend. Absolutely, in every one of the five trends, and um, and then the experience layer is something not enough companies I, I think are thinking about right now. The human experience is changing so dramatically. You have to have a, a dramatically different uh, and, and more advanced notion of experience and how you deal with it with your customers. And those are the, the examples we're talking about, the vision. And one other example I'll give just because I love it, then I'll, <laughs> then I'll stop on this trend, 
is I, I, I like Moderna as an example in how they yeah. accelerate their, their vaccine production. They have a drug design studio. That's their platform, drug design studio, powered by the cloud uh, with uh, convolutional neural networks and AI models rapidly iterating on data uh, so that they could that they could pair that uh, the drug design studio up with their scientists and, and pioneer around messenger RNA, a new delivery, uh, a new science around a new delivery technique and, and, and get a vaccine out, you know, fast, you know, faster than anybody. And BioNTech, that partnered with Pfizer, similar approach. That the stack they use, the technology was strategic to them, you know, winning in that, that marketplace. Yeah. Well, yeah. One, one, one quick follow-up. There's got to be a lot. I, I would love to be a fly in the wall watching this process because the process of creating this annual tech vision report, because I looked at years of your predictions going back six years ago, you guys were talking about digital transformation as key imperative for business leaders. It is so accurate. I know hundreds of people are contributing to this. I know you're the principal author. So obviously a lot of pressure on your shoulders, but it, it's got to feel good to know that when you historically reference the tech vision reports, my goodness, you guys have been super accurate. Yeah, uh, we actually, yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to learn a little bit about yeah. the process. <laughs> yeah, and you guys stacked it as well. I mean, you put on, you did a three-year layer too uh, to show everybody, and that was yeah. pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah we actually kept, put it up. We kind of trace it all the way back. Yeah, no, so yeah, if you show that, that that's interesting. But the, um, uh, yeah, it's a great team, and uh, you, you could, I don't think you can call me the author. There's a whole team that puts this together that's really that's really fantastic. We have an external advisory board uh, that we meet with uh, multiple times a year. We get a lot of ideas there. We get a, a tremendous ideas by you know, kind of crowdsourcing across the amazing people we have around the world. And we work on it. It's not a project we do. It's a year round thing. So we're, we, we've we got the backlog and stuff we're thinking about, you know, that'll, that'll be part of next year's vision already. So that's, that's the, that's really the process. We do a lot of testing and trying out and debating as you'd expect. And kind of one of my tests is, uh, is how controversial it is. I, is, uh, we, we did. We we came out with uh, 2013 was the first vision that I was involved with. That exception, the vision's 21 years old. First one I did uh, with the team was 2013, and we said every business is a digital business. That was the title, as you as you said, Bella. And I spent uh, I spent a lot of months after that defending it and getting yelled at by by people <laughs> saying that's just nonsense. I'm in a, I'm in such and such an industry. Digital's about tele you know telcos and wireless and stuff, or it's about media. And uh, but it but it became true like in that and everybody you know digital became the thing and there's always something about our vision that people say that's kind of nonsense that that's not going to happen and we we have been wrong we don't get everything right but a lot of times the thing that's that people think is most wrong is that is the biggest insight uh, and that I think that's what that's what's fun about the vision is is kind of seeing this play out and kind of sticking by our convictions of what we think this is going to be this isn't a you know trying to make everybody happy with it this is trying to really provide some guidance that's a little opinionated and prescriptive and different than what people can find somewhere else all the senior leaders in my company read your report religiously it's a, it's a playbook that should sit on every ceo's desk i'll, I'll end it with that sorry it's not a question it's a comment <laughs> go ahead Ray. no we're sadly out of time 20 minutes is never enough with paul uh, we're here with paul doherty group chief executive technology and chief technology officer at accenture you can follow him on Twitter at Paul, D-A-U-G-H. And you can catch the entire Accenture Tech Vision uh, reports on the Accenture website. It's a very great read and you can download the PDFs. There's even executive summary version. Uh, and I don't know if they're, are they doing the replays of the over event or is that uh, once a Yeah, day? we're going we're gonna to post the link to the launch event that we did, which we normally don't do, but we're going to do that this year. And it was, it was done with a super cool technology. We used uh, 
some new new technology to do it. Uh, so I think uh, I think people enjoy taking a look. If, if if nothing else, to see the it's the medium and the message. The medium is the, is the, <laughs> medium message. the message. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for being on the show, and have a great Friday. So thank you, Paul. Bye. Cheers. Uh, I'm serious. Uh, it's uh, it's my favorite article to write every year because the last four or five years I've covered the Tech Vision Report. It's been my most popular ZDNet post. So there's so much goodness there. And speaking of goodness, speaking of emerging technologies, uh, our next guest, uh, Wilson uh, Pang, is a Chief Technology Officer at Appen. Uh, Wilson joined Appen in November 2018 as the CTO, Chief Technology Officer, and is responsible for the company's products and technology. Wilson has over 19 years experience in software engineering data science. Prior to joining Appen, uh, Wilson was chief data officer at Ctrip in China, the second largest online travel agency company in the world, where he led data engineering and analyst data product management and science to improve the user experience and increase operational efficiency and grow the business. Before that, Wilson was senior director of engineering at eBay and prior to that, an architect at IBM uh, building te technological solutions. You can follow his company on Twitter at A-P-P-E-N Global, G-L-O-B-A-L. Welcome, Wilson, to the Shrub TV. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm really humbled for the introduction, and I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Yeah, we're Our really pleasure. excited to have you here. You know, you've got a lot of expertise in terms of what's happening in the world of AI and what's going on with data, training data, data sets, all those important things. Uh, but let's start with Appen. Like, what what is Appen? How does it start, and uh, what do you do there? Yeah. Appen, uh, we are an industry-leading AI data company. Uh, we provide high-quality training to our customers to build AI. Um, no matter what type of data do you need, text, image, video, audio, 3D data, whatever data you need, you can always rely on Appen to get you those data with high quality at a large scale. To do that, we are combining the power of both human and also technology. So we have over 1 million crowd members from 130 countries speaking 180 languages. We also have a machine learning assisted annotation platform and a crowd management platform. Uh, I'm the CTO of Appen, and uh, we're lucky to be able to work with a super talented group of product managers, engineers, data scientists to really evolve our product and also drive innovation in uh, AI data field. That's awesome. What a great uh, privilege to be a technology leader at an AI company. Um, you know, clearly, you know, the founder of my company believes AI is electricity for business. And, um, you know, I, I recently wrote an article summarizing ARK Invest's thesis on uh, deep learning, machine learning, and, and they believe the impact will be bigger than the internet. So clearly an critically important technology that will shape the future. And uh, with our previous guest, with Paul Darty, we talked about the impact of COVID and how it shaped new business model innovation and modernization and technological stacks that are key. Can you talk about the impact of COVID-19 on AI, on the ML landscape, and what are some of the challenges that we're now facing in the AI industry, perhaps as a result of uh, 2020? Sure, sure, yeah. What a year, 2020. <laughs> yeah. We oh are God, all yeah. super happy it's ended now. <laughs> yeah. um, so every year we survey people from the AI industry and publish a state of AI report. And of course, last year, we asked the impact of pandemic. Uh, the result actually is not surprising and COVID-19 is not slowing AI investment. So from our research, our report, two thirds of the company, they do not expect any negative impact to their AI initiative. And nearly half of the companies 
have actually accelerated their AI initiative, and 20% are doing so significantly. So you can see clearly people are betting on AI products in this uh, turbulent time, right? Uh, and we know COVID-19 changed every way we operated in the company. Now we all live in this Zoom, this virtual world. We not really meet people in person. Most of the stuff like moving from offline to online. That generates a lot more data than before. Um, and more data, better AI. It's as simple as that, right? So AI is used um, as a powerful tool and build the momentum to really to help the digital transformation for almost every company. Uh, so that's the impact of a pandemic. Actually, that kind of helped to accelerate the AI. But meanwhile, meanwhile we'll also look into the challenge. Uh, so the biggest challenge in the AI in industry is still around data. So mm. when we do this away, uh, we ask the company, there's about a three out of four company, they need to refresh their model at least every quarter. So it's never a one-time deal. You need to retrain your model you need, with refresh the data all the time. And about 40% of those companies who need to refresh their model, they, they feel like lack of data or the data management is a key challenge for them. It's Makes a great sense. point, right? I mean, think about the pandemic. How many people's models were completely thrown off, right? Just yeah. in general, like all the preset rules were completely like, oops, that's wrong. Oh, yeah, people really like commodities and toilet paper and nobody really likes services and travel and yeah. all these demand signals are completely off and none of these economic indicators work. Like, what the heck is going on, right? right. Um, and so so you refresh data just at a quarter. I would imagine people would want to do this even more frequently than that. But is it because they don't have enough data or trainable data to do this? Uh, it there's multiple factors, right? It can be they don't have enough data or depends on the business. Like, I know like there's a use case, let's say we are talking about uh, um, as recommendation or maybe product recommendation, probably people are using real-time data to retrain the model. If you are talking about like financial fraud detection, they are also using near real-time data. Um, but there's other models probably didn't change that uh, often. So they refresh like either monthly or maybe quarterly. Um, but it's just a consistent theme. You need to refresh the model, reaching the model, and keep up all the change. That's you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm recapping what was just said, but you know, it's, it's amazing. It, it, you, you move to a decentralized, digital-only, um, which means you actually have access to data. Part of the beauty of digitization is you get access to measurable data um, versus like analog meetings or behaviors that can't be captured. And also, Ray, you talk about safety and accessibility being filters applied to your spend. So, you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just relevance. You know, I'm a runner, I buy running shoes. Now I'm worried about is it safe to buy it? Is the store, is my favorite store accessible? Can I go to a mall and buy it? You know, so yep. you now, this is why McKinsey said 70% of people shifted brands during the pandemic because if they didn't feel safe, if the product wasn't accessible, whether it was supply chain disruption or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, folks, it was like rest in peace to loyalty, brand loyalty. And um, so being able to understand that, measure that, train models to help you anticipate shifting behavior so you can change your business model before you go out of business is so important. So my, my question, Wilson, what are some misconceptions for businesses when they're considering implementing AI and the steps they need to take to make sure that, you know, they initially have success with projects? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a great question. And that's actually um, happened quite often in many companies. Uh, 
there's a few. The number one is really people um, when they look into AI problem, people only think they only need a good data scientist to solve the problem. <laughs> Come on, if I only had a good data scientist. <laughs> yeah, so I think you get a world-class data scientist, problem solved, right? You really need That's a- you need. A, one, one, one PhD, we'll just get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need a cross-team, um, a cross-functional team to help you on that. You need people like a product manager, business owner who understand the business problem. You need data scientists for sure. You also need an engineer, QA ops person to help you to deploy the model. So it takes a team, not just data scientists. That's number one misconception. Second thing there is really, um, people also think they need to spend a lot of time just uh, tuning every parameter of the model, get the best performance. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is people spend the majority of their time really get the data, clean up the data, make sure the data has high quality, and make sure the data is available, both for training and for inference. So that's the area people spend uh, most of their time. So um, data actually decides the performance of the AI model, not just the model itself. Yeah, no, that's a great point, right? I mean, you look at these models, the models are changing. Uh, what do you do about this notion of bias? People always worry about bias. And I'm like, but bias helps you make decisions, right? So, so what is this whole thing about bias? Why do people worry about it? Um, you know, what, what do we have to think through as part of, you know, uh, bias as a universal, limiting bias as a universal need? Really, that's a, that's a multi-million dollar question. Yeah, that's a deep question, Ray. You're yeah. paying you billions to solve this. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, more, or maybe a billion dollar question. There. <laughs> really, um, eliminating bias in AI is hard, but we, we think it's super necessary, right? We saw a lot of example, like when you're using some translation technology, they will just treat, let's say, uh, when you talk about doctor, they always refer to a male. When we talk about nurse, they refer to a female. Um, we see example like people using AI to do uh, application filter or review. Uh, the pass rate for a male is much higher than a pass rate for a female, right? So you can see it costs. It can cause harm to both the business and also to the overall human being. Um, but fighting against uh, biasing AI is hard. Uh, the good part is really from last few years we are seeing more and more company are really putting effort to really uh, against this bias. So uh, from a business level, organization, they need to pass just acknowledging or just worry about this problem, right? Yeah. Many people think this is important, I'm worried about that, but no actual actions. We need business really to start to form a team, form initiatives to really fight against all those potential concerns under this responsible AR umbrella, right? It can be from really finding the advice from data all the way to how can you treat the people who help you collect uh, training data fairly? Uh, so we need an effort from business side. And so you're talking about unwanted bias here, right? Like things that you didn't realize you were doing, unintentional, that kind of bias, but you still need some bias to make certain decisions so long they're transparent and open, correct? Yeah, I think that depends on how you really define the uh, you know, intentional bias or intentional bias. Uh, I think most of the bias are causing harm probably unintentional bias. I think a lot yes. of most people are really have a good intention, um, but for some reason, like the 
the output of the AR model cause some really unintended bias and that creates some harms. And that's hard, right? Because testing for bias is also a skill set in itself. Like people don't know how to test for bias because sometimes you're testing and trying to find, I mean, patterns you wouldn't have known, right? Like a topological data analysis would suddenly say, hey, we actually got a very interesting situation over here, right? Or something mm -hmm. like that, or applying a different kind of algorithmic technique. Yeah, I think you hit, hit a great point there. Like testing for bias is hard and also it's a very, um, kind of an area, there's still a lot of research going on now. We don't really have a mature answer, uh, but it's really good to see uh, there's quite a few different directions people are going after now. One is really, uh, besides measuring all those business performance of the model, people also start to uh, measure the bias. Uh, it can be, let's say now you have the precision recall for a machine learning model. You want to compare how the precision recall um, performs against different, let's say, gender, race, nationality, right? Those will tell you the insight. Maybe you have a bias there. Uh, yeah. And also there's a, um, most of those bias actually introduced by data. So getting the tools to understand if the data has enough representative for the different uh, sample you need is super critical. And also you need to make sure you use a diversified crowd to help you create the data. If you only get the data from one certain type of people, very likely you will get bias there. That's, 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 that's a great point because we had the president of NASCOM, the largest IT consortium in India on our show last week. And she said that one of the tr growing trends is leadership's understanding and role in terms of responsible built and use of technology. And uh, an element of that was championing inclusivity because if algorithms are simply your beliefs codified, if you only have a particular segment of the population with common beliefs and it's not diverse enough, you're essentially codifying a, 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 you know, a, a micro element of what would be perhaps a more holistic view of the type of data you need, the type of models you need, and the type of outcomes you need, uh, hopefully not drifting from your brand promise. So inclusivity, and also I think in my opinion, designing for making sure you have the right data, right, you're asking the right questions, and you have the proper stakeholders, and the design phase before you write that first line of ML code and the design phase, I think these are critical questions to, that need to be asked. Um, speaking of you know, complexity, we, our, our annual uh, research that we do at my company shows that last year, a, a person on average connected with a brand across on average 10 different channels. Um, and you know, and 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 uh, you know, if you add this year, you know, it, it, ten of the twelve months, the number one popular app was TikTok last year, uh, as an example. Like these channels, sometimes are born within the year of the study. So when we talk about text messaging, social, now social with voice and video streams embedded, uh, so all that unstructured, and then the structured normal channels, web and app, and and so on and so forth. How do you manage? you know, data uh, uh, integrity and this omni-channel world that we live when you're training and building ML models? No, that's that's a super important question. And also, um, as you said, right, TikTok was super popular last year and now probably it's a clubhouse. Everything just changes yeah, so right, far. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what is that clubhouse thing? I don't know, Vala. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I've got over two hundred followers and I've done nothing on it, so I have no idea. Yeah. This is pri this privacy. Yeah. So. I have no idea. Uh, actually, um, I think Vala, uh, you hit a great point there. Like managing this data, managing data from multiple source, multi-channel channel is super critical. 
the reason is there's there's few reasons there. One is really um, like for the AI, right? Like AI, we all know AI need data, high quality data uh, at large volume, better AI. But how to manage that data? That's actually a pretty challenging problem. There's a few things people are not really thinking a lot there. Like when, when you look at the data, sometimes you have to uh, understand like where the data is from, who has made changes, how can you track those changes? Because without understanding those, then maybe the data will change in the future, you don't really know your model is broken, right? So that's kind of one. The other part is also when you uh, build the AI model, you train the model, the data is available. But when you launch the model in the future, if the data is no longer accessible, then you are in disaster. Um, <laughs> and also that, yeah. <laughs> Can go uh, on and on right there, and also um, there's another another trend uh, in the recent years. It's very interesting too. It's also people are not really using one single source for uh, data. Now people are using multiple model data. Um, let's say when we look at self-driving car, they are using data yeah. from the camera, using data from LiDAR. Try to do this data sensor fusion and using multiple data and get better performance. When people are trying to detect the content from a video, they're not only using like video data, but also voice data, right? When you combine those data, it gives you much better performance. So that's kind of the trend from the tech side. Uh, people are leveraging multiple sources of data, but meanwhile, I think there's more and more effort put in the ML ops side to help people to manage the data pipeline, manage the data versioning, and make sure they can really always get high quality data there. What I can't figure out is why is computer vision easier than NLP? Like of all possible things, like you'd think computer vision would be like 10 times harder than I NLP. Like it. And <laughs> it's just amazing that, that that works out that way. But hey, we're not here to talk about that. We've got to talk about your book. You've got a brand new book next month titled Real World AI. Tell us a little bit about what it is and what's the focus on that book. Well, thanks for asking. I'm really excited about the new book. It's coming next month. Um, Woohoo. Yeah. So real-world AI, this is based on our own experience of working on AI applications in the last decades, uh, both those successful ones and the failed ones. We also shared a lot of stories and examples from our uh, from other companies, experts, also both the successful and the failed ones. It will walk the readers through the whole journey to build AI, from how to pick up the right problem to scale it to production, from defining an AI strategy to form a right team, um, from get the right data to decide if you want to buy or build the AI by yourself. It gives the reader a very practical guide to uh, build a responsible AI. Um, so the reason we really want to write this book is, uh, um, there's two reasons, right? One, on the one side, we see a lot for companies that are struggling of really deploy AI successfully. And a similar mistake was made again and again and again. On the other hand, if you look at, the, look at the, all the books we have today, it either like super technical, tell you how to train a convolutional neural network, or maybe build a chatbot, or like super high level, talk about a strategy people need to adopt AI. There's so we're getting out of the theoretical stuff and saying, here's kind of the how-to to make AI work, get the right data in place, put in the right controls, and make everything happen, and do it all right away. <laughs> That's exactly the point of this book. We hope that book can give you some tips to do that. 
Congratulations. All right, we're talking to a real-world AI expert, Wilson Pang, Chief Technology Officer at Appen. You can follow the company's Twitter handle at Appen Global. Check out the new book. I'm sure it's available somewhere. Amazon, is that correct? You can find that, Real World AI? So yes. Real-world AI, and uh, check out the book and uh, jump in there. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you, Wilson. Thank you. Appreciate sure. it. Oh, what a great space to be in. I mean, a CTO of an AI company, I just... He's just like the smartest of the smartest. I mean, think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, I think it's cool. I can tell he's enjoying what he's doing. And speaking of someone who just brings joy to everyone who meets and knows her, uh, this is our cleanup hitter spot, as Paul Doherty said. So we expect the, you know, someone to come in and hit a grand slam, and surely this will be the case. Deborah Mills Schofield, strategic and innovation expert and advisor, a venture capitalist, a mentor, a mentor uh, and, and speaker. Uh, Deb is passionate about helping companies and individuals see what's possible and make plans to achieve it. Deb helped create Brown University's cognitive science concentration and finished it in three years. Early in her career at Bell, she created one of AT&T's highest revenue generating patents. So I forgot to put inventor in her bio. Deb's <laughs> articles in Harvard Business Review, which by the way, this is how we met. I read one of her articles, I sent a tweet, Next thing I know, I met one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met in my life. Power of Twitter and writing, by the way. She has her own blog, contributes to various business books, all of it geared towards inspiring people to dream that they can achieve, and she gives them the tools and the mindset uh, for them to make it happen. She's a partner at an early stage venture capital firm, Glengarry LLC. Today, Deb fosters innovation growth and other uh, and others through her strategy and innovation consulting uh, with mid uh, to large size privately held companies with her students. And we're gonna learn about students, the power of reverse mentoring and how it can bring joy and inspiration to you. She's an awesome follow on Twitter, daily inspirations with post a card to tell you how to be a better person. Follow her at D-S-C-O-F-I-E-L-D, D-S Schofield. Welcome back Deb to Disrupt TV. Thank you for having me, you guys. <laughs> We're super excited to have you. Um, you know, I feel like I should be bronzed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the perfect time to have you, right? I mean, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. We've had some experiences with what's been going on over the last nine months. And now we have an opportunity to think about what we can do differently. And so want to know, like, what are leaders doing differently? What have you seen changes in terms of leadership styles and how people have actually, you know, changed their outlook and perceptions, what people's expectations are? Um, and, and I think they're all starting to form a new type of approach as we head out into the next couple months? So what I've seen mainly with my clients is number one, increased communication. So, you know, like in real estate, it's location, location, location. Um, here it's communication, communication, communication. communication. Um, so I'm seeing that a lot. Um, going from tolerating work from home to embracing it to hybrid um, and speeding up digital transformation, like, like immediate. Um, so that's what I've seen and a mind shift toward really focusing on human and system design. So rather than I create a discrete product or this or this, but really focusing on human centered design and systems design. 
Um, you, yeah, uh, that's about it. You, you are a new business model generation expert. Uh, so when you, you know, when you're coaching your clients, it's more than just modernizing legacy processes, okay. leveraging technology. The real way to unleash their full potential is finding new revenue streams with new business model opportunities. Have you found that the pandemic was an accelerator for people to think beyond just, oh, the cloud's going to help me do things faster or mobile is going to allow me to work from anywhere and, and really think about how do I gain, not, not gain market share, but be a market maker as our good friend Saul Kaplan would, would remind us. Right. Uh, what, what business model innovation is all about. It's not market share taking, it's about market making. Uh, Roll the pie. Uh, no, totally seen that. And what I really try to get them to do is go back to value proposition. You know, who are you targeting? And what are their pains? What are their gains? Because if you don't get that right, you don't need to worry about a business model. And it's got to be from the other perspective. So that's been a real focus. And every single client, we've looked at new business models, new value props, because the world just changed, you know, by yeah. 10 years yeah. in nine months or whatever. <laughs> no, no, true. We had, we had last week, we had Scott D'Anthony, who was uh, Clay Christensen's business partner for 20 years, started as a student of his, but, you know, became a business partner at Intersight. And he said, yeah, jobs to be done. Like you need to understand so what you just said. I know, it's the milkshake story from Clay Christensen, right. late Clay Christensen. But when you say their pain points, and it's, it's amazing how companies still struggle with understanding what success looks like from their customer's point of view. Um, and by the way, as a VC, I'm sure you scrutinize the teams that are pitching to you, whether they have the, the, the acumen to understand the, the changing world, but also understand jobs to be done. And it's acumen, but it's also more so desire, yeah. right? Sure. Because, yeah. Yeah. well, this is how I think Kant's divine ought, you know, it ought to be done. Yeah. What does the customer need from their perspective in their world with their constraints, not what you want it to be? And if you're going to get hooked up on, on that, forget it. Yeah. You know, it's very much I, thou. It's about the other, not you. Great, great advice. That's a great point, right? And uh, we got a little comment here. I don't know what this means. Permaquid seafood, great snack place. Oh, yes. <laughs> I figured you know Bob that somewhere. Oh, uh, permaquid seafood. <laughs> yep. It's the blue yeah, lobster yeah. in the back. Yeah. Several nights a week. Yeah. <laughs> So, but hey, let's think about you. I mean, like the way you're interacting with clients, the way you're talking to them, how that changes in terms of communications. I mean, do I mean, do you miss this the physical meeting, like the random conversation that happens as you're in the hallway, right? Or is this going to be adequate enough going forward? Um, it's not, and I do miss it. And it's funny, one of my clients, um, I've had them for 15 years. This was how I really had to adapt. We all did. So last May, we went from a four-day off-site retreat to eight two-and-a-half-hour Zoom calls over eight weeks. Wow. Um, wow. Ended up with an amazingly integrated, cool, tight, forward-looking plan. I mean, we thought we were doing 18 months. We did five. And, and we all ended thinking, oh, well, next year, no problem. We can do our normal retreat. 
no, we can't, <laughs> you know, um, someone tried that with 500 people and got in trouble. I heard, but, yeah. uh, oh, a biotech company, yeah, yeah. a vaccine, um, va vaccine manufacturer. But yeah. it, it right. um, so it has changed that. I do miss that. But on the other hand, there's a lot more casual, like, just can you chat? And so there's more spontaneous chat with my clients than I would have had under the old world. Um, and it's also made us have to be much more thoughtful about what we're doing at those sessions. There's a lot more pre-read, pre-work. And I actually like it in the sense of, you gotta be dedicated on doing your plan. Yeah. I mean, you can't get away with it now. You're either in or you're out because I'm not reminding you. Yeah. So and you and you work with some, you know, you work with digital native companies like Airbnb is a client. You work with some technology leaders for the past three decades, like Cisco. So some of these folks obviously I'm sure are uh, you know, they get the Zoom, they get the social, they get the text. They're they're, they're tech companies and they're digital natives. Are all of your clients um, you know, adapt to this environment and by the way we've had other vcs on the show and universally they've said it is harder to do this remotely because our senses the way we read the room the way we you know follow the mannerisms a lot you can learn a lot from what's unsaid and how a person right. behaves in a room and that's just not quite there uh you know uh, in in this decentralized digital only model uh, so you're not you're not the first to say that you know it's harder, but but uh, I, I suspect clients are now getting used to it, and it may be the new normal. You're not going to hop on a plane for a two-hour right. meeting. Uh, no, you're not going to hop it on a plane. And, I, and it's funny from a VC. What? Ray's going to do that. I'm still going to do that. Yeah, good for you. Um, a year. you can't wait to go back. Yeah. Have I got a face shield for you? Um, <laughs> but on the VC side, it is a little harder. On the client side, one thing I do like is it is harder for one of the people in the room to just kind of go like this and make their notes, where in a, in a real world, it would be easier to do that, and I'm the one that has to call them out. But when you're all on a Zoom screen, everybody sees it. So it's harder to hide. Um, <laughs> That said, on the VC side, I do I do concur with that, um, but it's raised accountability quite a bit, sure. which has been good. Sure, you know, I mean, I, I was sitting in Madeira with the Rosewood Sandhill yesterday, and and it, it I, I got to tell you, it was just incredible. I hadn't had a chance to see people in a while, so we're having lunch outside. Someone else bumped in, hadn't seen someone there. You know, talked to another conversation. Like I gotta stay there for four hours. I mean, that craving of human interaction, mm -hmm. the serendipity of someone popping in. You know, I, I saw I'm from Clubhouse. I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like it, you just it was from one room to another to another. <laughs> I gotta ask you guys about. One of my students invited me to Clubhouse. Oh, God. And I'm just like, I'd you, rather read a book. Ray, you, uh, Deb, you would crush it on Clubhouse because you have a nice, soothing voice. The I'll put him to sleep. Remarkable mastery of the language. <laughs> you just, but, but no, but seriously, okay, you mentioned students. Okay, so, and I know you have officially mentored hundreds of students, maybe thousands. Wow. Uh, and okay, so I'm a junior at Brown. 
Uh, and so um, I, I got one more year before I joined the workforce. What advice would you give me from getting me ready from this world that did accelerate by 10 years, was massively impacted by the pandemic? We still have climate. We still have racial. We still have economic. We still oh, have yeah. health. We still have trust deficit. It's gotten better, I think, but we still have a trust deficit. So, so you know, what do you what do you tell a junior who is you know ready to put a dent in the universe because she just read a Steve Jobs autobiography and might be shocked to realize that things may be a little bit different. So, in a weird way, and this is a bubble, and I know we're extremely privileged. Yes, what I've seen it with students is a bigger sense of urgency to make a difference. And so, you know, some want to make their 10 million by the time they're 25. <laughs> some want to solve world hunger and poverty by the time they're 25. Wow. So it varies. <laughs> um, is this because it's a Brown University example? Because I know you have yeah. very close tie to not only the Brown students, but executive leadership at Brown are mentees of yours. So it's an entire university spectrum. Yeah, they're not as fun as the students. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in fact, I'm, I'm going to be a mentor to a design engineering grad program we're doing with RISD. And um, they're not all going to be Brown undergrads. So it's, it's going to be work. Um, and, you know, yeah, I'm just putting it, you know, I'm a whatever with this. Um, so most of a junior probably would have had internships by now. Mm -hmm. And what I really try to focus on with them is to understand who they are, who they wanna be, who they don't wanna be. That your core values you can set, everything else is kind of up for grabs. It's like, you know, you got your Lego set, there are a few blocks that aren't coming apart but otherwise, everything else can get added and taken off. So you can continually redesign. So what do you want to think about learning, experience, doing in the next three to five years? And what are the best places, companies, institutions, whatever, to go do that? That's and amazingly, it's hard to say this in a way. No, none of my kids, my students, have lost jobs or internships oh, wow. or opportunities during wow. this. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, it, it's, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. It's a privilege. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. But I, I have to tell you, you know, I don't I didn't have a discussion when I was at undergrad or grad, or maybe the first five years of working, uh, in terms of the importance of core values and and you know understanding what brings you joy and understanding success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking the way you do it. Uh, I think these were learnings in my probably 30s, not 20s. Oh my so, gosh, these kids think about things we never thought about. Wow. And I learn, you know, like all this discussion from the previous two on AI. So one of my kids does a lot with reinforced learning and robotics. And oh, wow. some of the the issues that they're dealing with in AI and on robotics and all this stuff are not different than 30 plus, I'll say, years ago when we created CogSci instead of doing AI. And it was that basketball, if you do AI, it's task-based. CogSci is neuro-cog-based. 
And there's still that division in AI. Well, remember, AI was a dirty word back then, so. <laughs> hey, I programmed in Lisp. Oh, <laughs> yes. Which nobody knows now. That's I spent, yeah, I still remember taking Fortran and COBOL classes, but I don't want to mention that because with my short hair, people might think I'm younger than I really am. Well, at least I started out with C. Oh. I never learned Fortran and COBOL. And I'm older than you. Hey, you were you were creating uh, multi-billion-dollar patents at Dell, so, so you know you were you were in a different group. I was, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I was in the basement, and you were. But I got a plaque for that. that. Wow, wow. Hey, actually, you know what? Talking about Dell, like, what was Michael Backlund like? You know? Oh no, Bell. Bell, Bell Labs. Bell. Okay, I was like, that doesn't make sense. All right, so you were like Bell Labs, Bell Labs back in the yeah. corporate research R and D world. Oh, so do you I think didn't we need appreciate that? that. Do we think we need those again, like corporate oh, yes. research and corporate research development? It feels like every company's gotten rid of that. So well, but even if they haven't, like Google X is yeah. not what Bell Labs was. It's yep. still more corporately driven. Um, it's not as egalitarian. You know, mm -hmm. I could sit on the floor of Cheswick and Belvin, who wrote security for the mm -hmm. internet. And I yep. would sit on the floor in their rooms, in their offices. Wow. It was, wow. it, it, I never experienced any kind of chauvinism or harassment wow. or anything. It was that a different amazing. world. So we've gone backwards. Oh, totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, getting Bill Cheswick. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a whole incredible. other show we got to talk about. We got to get, we got to get him back, man. I mean, he was, uh, I remember him. He was like Lehigh University, dude. So. So that's crazy. <laughs> well, I grew up in Allentown, so that's that's. Why, oh, okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what I'm like. Well, I grew Cheswick up in Joyzy, so. Joyzy, Joyzy. But yeah. Any, any? Is there a book coming up? Or working on blogs? What, 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 what's your uh, next twelve months going to look like? You know, everybody's like, write a book. Yeah, I've been telling you that for five years. I know. And <laughs> Alex Osterwal like tweeted it out five years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Deb's writing a book. Um, <laughs> I, it's hard. I don't know. You yeah. know, I just, I love working with my clients, yeah. seeing them grow and hire more people and make money and pay taxes. Um, and my students, <laughs> and I don't have a desire to write a book. Yeah. You know, we have so many great stories, but you know what? Your clients are benefiting from it. And, right. And, and to me, so much, so much seems so obvious. Like, you really have to say this stuff. Like jobs do, to be done. You actually do. <laughs> that, that is still, I'm telling you, I'm in front of enough clients to know the jobs to be done reminder is a really important one still. It's, still. it's a great yeah. reminder. Uh, look, look, here's the thing. I, I would say um, find find someone, find two of your students to interview you and have them write the book. And it'll be really fun. And, and what will occur is like, they'll think of the questions, they'll put it together, they'll get the That's book, and then idea. you just edit the manuscript. Yeah. And I yeah. think I'll be like one of the most awesome books. I mean, you know, well, to get that knowledge imparted and filtered through the lens of someone a little bit younger, and then filtered through the lens of people who are thinking differently, um, and then filtered again through peers, you're gonna get some very interesting conversations. Well, they have been keeping notes, and they yeah. wanna do FAQs, and I have kids who next semester wanna create a dead bot, 
So if they can't get a See, hold Bob, of it, there is a way to replace us. There is a yeah. way to replace no, us here. We will always have the original Deb and not the Deb bot on Disrupt TV. We can promise you that. But in case they need me and I can't get a hold of, you know. I love, that. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's always great <laughs> speaking with you. Always, always. Always Thank great. You. you too. Deb Mills Schofield, strategic and innovation consulting, venture capitalist, mentor and advisor, innovation expert. Um, you can find her at Mills Schofield LLC and on Twitter at D Schofield, S-C-O-F-I-E-L-D um, for some interesting tweets. And of course, a blue lobster. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a lot oh, for being on the show. Happy uh, Friday. Uh, Grand Slam, I told you. We, 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 bring, <laughs> we, we bring the slugger at the end. And uh, wow. So that was episode 224, our 685th Ooh. interview after five years. Next week will be episode 225. And we will have Nigel Viles, CEO of Publicist Sapien. Um, oh, he just wrote a book. Off, pretty CEO interesting. of user testing. Absolutely. And well, again, one of my favorite guests, uh, Larry Dignan, editor-in-chief of ZDNet. Larry mm -hmm. is unfiltered, one of the smartest news tech media personalities that we know. So he's always, always A-game. Uh, so definitely don't miss next week. And probably not allowed on Clubhouse. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, although I don't know. Again, he's such a great mind, and he speaks the truth. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, – it feels like it's unfiltered, but it's absolutely the truth. So it's, he's a great guest. Great guest. Oh, awesome guest. Awesome guest. So, well, okay. Well, hey, we're happy Friday. Welcome, everybody. Um, I don't know. Are we still doing our clubhouse thing like maybe Saturday sometime? Catch up with fans and stuff? It's, at thought? some point, we thought we would share our podcast lessons learned, mistakes made. Um, and yeah, at some point, Ray and I are going to jump on. Point. Yeah, we'll jump on. And do that. So, um, you know, I'm yeah, still we'll probably announce that. Look for it on Twitter if we decide when I'll be probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we thought it'd be fun. We're still building up some fun audiences and people in Clubhouse. If you want to come guest host with us, DMS, let us know about that and uh, we'll kind of put that together. So, all right, that's it, man. Happy Friday. Hope everyone stays safe. And uh, if it's Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everybody. See you, everybody. Bye. <laughs>